You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Okay, my name is Pete. Uh, my privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. We're in a series called I Generation. I can't remember now if we're doing about four or five weeks. We're just trying to think, actually, there's a huge revolution going on in the society that we live in, and how do we respond to that as Christians? And we've looked at things like time. We've looked at pornography. We've uh, looked at some of the pressures that there can be with social media. And this morning, I'm going to be preaching on singleness. Now, I was telling somebody this yesterday in the church, and they laughed at me. Uh, And they just said, Pete, how on earth can you preach on singleness? And I said, well, I'm shocked that you respond like that, because when I told you that I was going to preach on pornography, you didn't laugh and say, how on earth could you preach on pornography? Um, I I have to admit, uh, for those that are visiting, uh, I'm very happily married. I'm 45. I've been married for almost 22 years. I am not single. I admit that. Having said that, I didn't want to pass the topic off. I think it would be so easy to say, oh, well, actually, what I'd really like to do is I would just get somebody single from the church to come up and they could speak. And I felt, I'll be honest, I've never preached on the subject before, but I thought, how do we handle this massive issue in a godly way? So I'm hoping that I will serve you well, although I recognize my limitations. I recognize as well this morning that singles covers a big subject. I recognize that there are some here that have never married and some that never want to marry. I recognize there are some that are separated, some that are divorced, and some that are widowed. I recognize even for myself, I could single again. You know, let's be honest, it's unlikely that my wife and I will die at the same time. And so in some respect, you think, for all of us that are married, it's still something that we grapple with, and we don't just suddenly right off. I'm also aware this is a huge growing section of our society. The average age, and some of you now be sat there working things out, for a man to get married is now 32. The average age that a woman in this country gets married is now 30. I'm aware there are 2 million single parent families in the UK today, and they they reckon 33% of households in the UK would be one person only. So I think this is a huge thing. And I'm also aware, as I come and look at this topic, that the church has not done well. And I have that as a background. I'm aware that that things have come across uh, which have been unhelpful. Things like, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he will bring someone special in your life. And it's almost like, you know, this has been maybe a, a, a churchy sort of way of handling it. I don't think I've said it publicly, but maybe I've inferred it. Maybe you've picked it up even in this church. It's almost as though God's blessings would be earned by our contentment. I don't believe that that's biblical. Another thing that I think can sometimes come across in the church is this. You're single because you're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters within which to work. I don't think that that's a biblical picture either. But I sometimes think that people pick this up and it's almost like an unsaid thing. I sometimes think that it comes across as a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work, as though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work. And I want to look a little bit at this this morning, and please, I I probably tread on a few toes, please take my heart in it as well as I possibly can. I don't think that actually God wants you to be an emotional martyr to work for him. 
And sometimes it even comes across, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. It's almost like God grants marriage as a second blessing to those that are all satisfactory and sanctified. Tim Keller, in his book, which I found very helpful reading on preparing for life, says this, beneath all these statements is the idea that the single life is a state of deprivation for people who are not yet fully formed enough for marriage. It's almost like you could think of, oh, is this God's plan B for my life? As I say, I mean, you know, oh, golly, you suddenly think we're trying to handle, I want to be as sensitive and as honest as I can. I think, even in this church, it must be very frustrating sometimes to be single. You must feel like there's a married mass of people. We celebrate things like Mother's Day, and you think, but I've never been a mum. You sometimes must even feel, I only ever get invited around for dinner if you want me to babysit. I hope that's not true, but I'm sure for some of us we pick up those kind of feelings. I think it could be very hard even in church life, as being single, because you think, how do I celebrate the markers in my life of getting married, of having my first child? Who are the role models in church? And then there's that sort of danger, isn't there? That almost, can people try and set you up? Invite two of you around for dinner and then both go and wash up all evening and leave you to chat. Or did that only ever happen when I was single? You know what I'm saying? There are those challenges. I hope that God is going to help us. Let's pray. Father, we do want to look at this subject. Lord, we want to look at it sensitively. We want to look at it biblically. God, we've found this whole series, whether it be social media, whether it be our time, that actually you've got something to say. And Lord, it's relevant to all of us. Father, I do pray that I will serve people well today. Lord, I, I, I want to pray right now. Lord, that if as a church we've let down singles and we've hurt and we've implied things that have been unhelpful, I pray they forgive us. I pray as a church we go forward. We, we believe in a people that are, are married and single being together. We believe very much in a church of black and white and rich and poor, young and old. I do pray that you'd unite us together in Christ's name. Amen. I mean, that is my heart's desire before I do, do jump into this. Um, I've had a picture all morning and I kept, oh, shall I even bring it in part of the worship? Um, I can't remember, this was years ago and it probably dates me quite badly. Looking around a house, Nikki and I were thinking about buying a house and being shown that this one particular lounge had what was called a feature wall. I don't know if, uh, you, you know, nowadays we might think man alive, it's just bad taste. But the estate agent, you know what estate agents are like, said, oh, this is a feature wall. And I said, well, explain what feature wall means. He said, well, look at it. You know, the, the brickwork is not even. You've got slates there. You've got little alcoves there. There was even glass bottles that were built into this wall. And the idea was you could sit, you could look at it, you could ponder it. You could, it was unique. It was creative. It was artistic. And, and now we'd probably say it was bad taste and we'd rip it down. But at the, mo at the time, it was almost considered this was part of the uh, feature there. And, and I kept thinking, oh, if I've got to explain the illustration, it might not help. I, I guess I feel like I believe the church is going to be like that. I believe that when we're built together as a building, it's not with even individual bricks. I don't believe that this church, you've got to all be the same shape and size and we're just going to neatly pack bricks together. 
I believe that it will be a wall that actually you look at and you think, wow, that's creative, that's different. I'd never have thought of all that going in there together. But actually God's heart is, well, look, that's the kind of wall I'm building. And I hope that you'll pick up my heart on that this morning. I'm going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 7. This is Paul. He's writing to the church. We think he's writing in answer to some questions. Just before we jump into this, there's three little things I would say as introductory remarks. The first is this. Paul believed that it was only by Jesus we're saved. It's only by Jesus we're saved. It's not by Jesus and anything else. I think so often our danger is, whether it be singleness or whether it be possessions, or whether it be a career, or a job, or whether it be children, we can think, I need Jesus and. Paul taught very much, we need Jesus. I think the other thing that I would say before we look at this passage, is that, listen carefully, life is short and eternity is real. Whereas I think, we think the opposite. Life is long and eternity is unreal. I think Paul, when he was writing to the church, was saying, you've got to remember, life is short, but eternity is real. And I think with our obsession nowadays, we can often get caught up with the other. And finally, by way of introduction, before we look at this, I believe that Paul's philosophy or his understanding was this. A life of obedience is the best kind of life. A life of obedience is the best kind of life. Not, as maybe we would say today, do your own thing. Be your own, you know, just, just do whatever you fancy. I think Paul would say actually a life of obedience. So let's look at these verses. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 27 to 31. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Some of you take that away. That's your takeaway for this morning. And if a virgin marries... She has not sinned, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I have to be careful not to overemphasize that verse. My wife is out serving on the kids today. It would be unfair. I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Because those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I mean, I find this a hugely complicated, challenging chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. Which is probably why I've not spoken on the subject before. Which is you know, probably why I would have liked us to have prayed for Syria longer. But I think, what do I really want to bring out of this? My first point would be this. I don't think we should dread being single. Sometimes I think, if we're really honest, there's been, could I say, an over-desire for marriage. You see, if you think about the Bible and you just look at the history there, within the Old Testament, if you were not married, it was considered shameful. Yeah, often... uh, I mean, you even look at, if you, if you weren't married and you didn't have a son, you didn't have an heir to continue your line, that was tragic. You look at Abraham and Sarah and the kind of things that they did because they weren't married. It's almost like the whole of culture was built around this way. It's really important to be married. 
many would say that that was true with the Roman and Greek culture as well. There was a sense of honor linked with the family. In fact, long-term singleness, you could say, was considered to be living a life that was less than fulfilled. To be without family, to be orphaned, to be single, to be widowed was vulnerable and shameful. You might feel even now there's this pressure, I don't know if you do, let's be honest, it tends to be the old uncle or aunt that you don't see very often. You go to some family do and they still poke you in the ribs or something as if you're like 12. You're still single, not found Mr. or Mrs. Right yet. Well, there was a huge pressure in the New Testament times on that very thing. It wasn't your uncle or aunt. It was the emperor. If you lived in Emperor Augustus's time and you were single and had not remarried within two years of being a widow, he would fine you. This was the emperor of society. You see, there was this huge, great pressure of growing up of the dread of being single. Paul then writes these verses into that whole culture. There'd been a historical thing about, you know, to be married. There was a cultural thing of being married. Paul then writes these things. If you read earlier in the chapter, he writes, I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widow, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul is saying singleness is a gift from God. Don't dread being single. Society might have seen it as a curse or something to be shamed about. Paul has this sort of argument, if you try and pick it up there in Corinthians, he says, you should be glad at success, but don't be defined by it. You should be saddened by disappointments, but don't be definingly crushed or embittered by them. You can enjoy possessions, but don't hold them so tightly that they define you. We should not see marriage as a life-defining moment of gladness, nor should we see not being married as a life defined by sadness or disappointment. Paul was writing into this culture and saying, actually, be careful of making an idol out of marriage. You see, if we think about the gospel, if we think about the words we've been singing this morning, if we think about being Christians, our ultimate security, significance, Identity and satisfaction is not found in marriage, it's found in God. I say again, our ultimate security, significance, identity and satisfaction should not be found in marriage, but found in God. If you're married here today, the thing that will satisfy you is a loving relationship with Jesus. If you are single here today, the thing that will satisfy you is a loving relationship with Jesus. And I've got to bring that. That surely is the most important thing. Paul goes on. There's another bit in 1 Corinthians. I know I'm jumping around a little bit there. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 to 34. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How she can please her husband. 
I would probably throw a challenge, and I have to be careful now because am I I'm stretching into it? I know I need to talk about marriage and sex another week, so I, uh, be careful not to go too far down that road today. But sometimes I think we don't fulfill our potential in Christ as married people because we've married that spouse that's too demanding or needy, that's too controlling, that's too risk-adverse, that marriage has become a 24-7 job. And actually, we realize we should be sold out for God. Tim Keller says this again, there's no reason to wait. Begin now to demote marriage and family in your heart and put God first and begin to enjoy the goodness of a single life. I don't know if you thought about it. I'm sure you have. I don't mean this to be a coy thing. Jesus was the first religious leader to affirm the goodness of a single adult life. I honestly believed he lived and died as a virgin. I believe that he made it to 33 and he was single his whole life. He was the perfect human. He wasn't incomplete in any way. He wasn't partly formed or half realized the fact that he didn't have a wife. And some would say Paul that we think, you know, wrote 13 out of 27 books of the New Testament. Some would say greatest theologian at that time was also single. This was something that was picked up by the early church. The early church, if you read through the epistles, the New Testament letters, cared for widows so they would not have to remarry. It was countercultural, but it enabled the widows to be diligent and active for the gospel. And so I think we have to be really careful here that we don't dread the whole thing of being single. Because I think you look at scripture, I don't think that's the picture that comes across. Christians then, and Christians now, who are single, make this statement. My future is not guaranteed by natural family, but by God. God is my hope and the guarantee of my future. And yet, you might say, oh, Pete, how does that fit into this I generation that you're talking about now? Well, I think in the West, and I'm talking in the West because I'm aware cultures around the world can be very different, I think we have a subtler temptation. I think it's romance. I think Hollywood produces films that is all about people finding emotional and physical fulfillment in the perfect partner. We always have these storylines. Will they? Won't they? Are they going to get together? Are they not going to get together? And in some respects, getting together, the romantic picture, the perfect bodies in the perfect sexual encounter, is it. So often the films stop there. Even if they were to get married and lots don't, you know, they've slept together, they've had this romantic encounter, it's almost like, that's it, we've made it, we've hit the pinnacle. Stop the film, we're not interested in the rest of life. And so I think we can still grow up with this kind of, live in this culture that has got this, actually, this pursuit of, there's a dread of being single. You find wholeness even through films. Okay, so that's one side of it. Now I'd like to talk about the other side. I think there's another side, and some of you may say, well, actually, Pete, what you talked about doesn't really fit me. Maybe you have a desire to be single. What do I mean by that? I think there can be an under desire for marriage. I think this is probably a bigger challenge for our culture. I think that we live in an individualistic society that is averse to commitment. We're a consumer society that likes choices but struggle to choose for, for fear that we would reduce our options in the future. 
I read a blog post this week. I'm not single. I'm in a long-term relationship with fun and freedom. That was their, 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 their saying. Another one said this on a blog post all about being single. It's amazing what you can find on the internet. Being single used to mean that nobody wanted you. Now it means you're pretty sexy and you're taking your time deciding who you want your life to be and who you want to spend it with. And so I would say on the other side, there's this whole desire. Actually, I'd like to be single because actually married people, they're just boring. (laughs) I mean, look at them. They get a ring on their finger and all the guy thinks about is putting on marigolds and cleaning toilets. I'd much rather be single. We just have a bit more fun. You know what I'm going to say? I don't quite know where I'm going to land this weekend, but man, it's going to be fun. You get married, oh, I mean, look at them. They put on a bit of weight, you know. They, well, what can I say? I, I won't ad-lib anymore because I'll be looking out and some of you know that I'm talking about, no, I'm not going down that road. I think there can be a, a desire to be single because we can become perfectionistic and virtually impossible to satisfy. I think if we're really honest, guys, we, uh, as single guys in society, we want this airbrushed magazine model kind of woman. Ladies, I think there's also an attraction for chiseled good looks with some financial security. Tim Keller, again, I found him very helpful on this whole subject, said this. As a result, modern dating can become a remarkable crass form of self-marketing. You must look good and have money if you are to attract dates or a spouse. And the reason you want a good-looking or affluent per- person is for sorry, uh, misspelled that, I think, is for your own self-esteem. Move on quickly, I think, from that slide. The fear of marrying someone less than perfect is often a concern of pride. What we want is who's going to look on my arm, who's going to look good in my bed, who can give me the lifestyle that I deserve, rather than am I going to join somebody to enable them to become the person God wants. And I think this whole, dare I say, desire to be single has been changed because of what I call a dating revolution. So I think that um, even now, you know, if you went back a hundred years, often a guy, if he wanted to go and find a girl, he would go around to the person's house, he would have time with the family, he'd get to know the character of the person, he'd often meet them in their home. There'd be that sort of very much a sort of friendship that developed. I think dating then changed that it no longer you went and you met and had time at somebody's home, you would take them out. And what happened is when you started taking them out, it became much more about entertainment and expenditure. Actually, how am I going to date? It's not how am I going to get to know you, it's how will I entertain you? What meal could I take you to? What event could I take you to? What place that will suddenly impress you? And yet I read a recent poll in preparing for this in New York. I mean, is London like New York? Who knows? Actually, people now are finding dating just too much hard work. What they really want, just give me a straight hookup. I'd like sex. And they're they're saying that young people are saying, oh, golly, the whole hassle of this rigmarole of of having a date and where do I take and what's it going to look like, forget that. I just want sex. And so people are saying, hey, I enjoy being single, but please could somebody give me someone to hook up with. Now, some would say, well, that's a real extreme. A desire to be single. Some would say there's a dread of being single. I would like to try and drive somewhere right through the middle. How do we do singleness well? And I believe that the gospel should radically impact our whole life. We've been singing this morning about the fact that Jesus died for us. 
I believe that Jesus died in my place. I believe the things I've said wrong, thought, the things I've done wrong, the, the good that I should have done, I haven't done, it's all mounted up. The Bible would call it sin. Jesus paid the price for my sin. I'm forgiven. I now live for him. That gospel should change the way I live. And I think that would impact us as a community. My first thing would be this. I think the gospel means that we go from being alone to being in a community. We go from being alone to being in community. I sometimes think even the desire for sex is because actually they want connection. And I think they look for it in the wrong way. People are looking for companionship. I believe God even said it's not good for a man to be alone. You can read that in Genesis. So many of us, we've moved away from our nuclear family. My parents don't live in London. I grew up as a Sussex country boy. But I moved away to study. And then I moved from there for a job. And so you suddenly think, where's my connection? And I think it can have lonely, individualistic lives. And yet it says in Psalm 68, verse 6, God sets the lonely in family. I think the church is there to reach out and to be a community together. Hey, if you keep coming here, I'd be gutted if you felt community group was a Wednesday night. It's life. If people turn up and think, oh, they've done it on a Sunday and a Wednesday, ah, oh, that's tragic, isn't it? It's meant to be about life together. I love hearing, you know, somebody said, oh, we met up for coffee. We went out for somebody's birthday. We had a lunch together. We went for a park together. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what it's got to be like. It's life. I think we've got to be those that reach out. I'm an old, old married codger now. I would say to the newly married in the church, be careful. I would say to those that start dating, be careful. Because I think so often we quickly forget what it's like to be single and just become, well, that this is about us. I think we're meant to be those that reach out and include others doing life together. James 1.27 says, The religion that God our Father uh, sees as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows. It's to be reaching out, it's to be inclusive. I would say if you're married here, just look at your diary when you get home. When was the last time you had a single person over just for fun? And then I would say if you're single here, when was the last time you invited a married couple over for fun? How often is it you think, oh, I just end up hanging out with singles. I think, no, come on, we're meant to be this community that is all together. Now, I know that sometimes that's, that's a bit boring, you know what I'm saying? If you go to some married person's house now, you might think, oh, golly, I'm just going to end up washing up. Actually, you can have good conversations over that as well. The, what else do I believe about the gospel community and doing singleness well? I think that the gospel means we go from needing to giving. In our consumer society, we can obsess about what we need. I need a holiday. I need a husband. I need a car. I need a baby. And I think the danger so often is that the generation turns us in to think, what do I need? What can I grab? What do I take? I think the gospel turns us to look out and think, what do I give? And so I think, actually, how do we have this gospel mentality? Not that you think, oh, I'm just totally poured out and I've had it. But actually, I'm so touched with Jesus. He so changed my life. What could I give? What could I give? What could I get involved in? 
I would love it if people, I don't know if you're visiting here for the first time, I hope you feel really welcome. I hope, you know, we're all over you like a rat and really lovely to see you, you know, if you like that kind of stuff. Because I think we want to be giving. We want to be reaching. I believe that's what the church should be. You know, we're not here just to, you know, we're here to give. And I think that applies to singles. And to, I'm impressed by singles that come along to the church here. That say, actually, I want to give. I want to be involved. I think it would be much easier to sit in a bigger church and just to think, oh, you know, I could sit back and maybe there'd even be a ministry just for me. So if you're single here, I, I applaud you. I think, fantastic, way to go. We love it. It's great having your time and your energy to see you giving rather than grabbing. And I think, how do we do gospel well? I, 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 I want to challenge everyone here. And I think even this subject, it's not, oh, well, it's for some people. Oh, it's that row, it's not this row. It's for all of us. I think what the gospel means is that we go from looking at our partner to looking to Jesus. I think the danger so often will be that we can look at, oh, who, could I marry the wrong person? Can I stop trusting God? You know, so often we look at the other person. But actually, I think we have to look to Jesus. Paul chose to live a radical, all-out life for God. Why couldn't we live that way as well? I came across this person. I don't know loads about her, to be honest, and it's always difficult when you quote them, but I quite like what she said, so I'm going to quote her anyway. Paige Benton Brown. She said this, I am not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband, nor am I too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me now. And I thought, actually, how do we have that whole kind of approach, whether we're married or single, actually, this is what God wants for me now. And what a privilege to know that he's got my life in his hands. As a Christian, we don't have to try and go through thinking, oh, God, how can I work this one out? How can I manipulate some circumstance? I wish it had turned out different. We can go forward thinking, I know He's got the whole world in his hands. I know that. Jim Elliot, I don't know if you've, you've heard of him. You know, he was this uh, missionary. I think it was in the 50s, wasn't it? You know, went out to this tribe, wanted to reach out with the gospel. They ended up killing him. He used to say this, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hill every situation you believe to be the will of God. And I guess when I look at a subject like this, I don't want to patronize and say, oh, there's going to be a, 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 an answer. I don't just want to say, oh, this is it. There'll def there definitely be a solution within the next week or month. But what I do want to say is wherever you find yourself, married or single, we should be those that say, actually, I live everything for the glory of God. All that I am, I want to be full in. You know, and I think that's the challenge. When I, when I look at this, and you know, obviously I chat through these, I sermons as I'm preparing them throughout the week with Nikki, my wife, and I'm just saying, oh, I feel challenged. Yeah, I think if I'm really honest, I think that the danger is, and obviously that's my responsibility, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I've got three fantastic kids, I've got to say that, they're sat here listening. I would say that even if they weren't, but obviously that brings a responsibility. And sometimes I think, golly, 
am I really going for God? How do I ensure I can? How do I ensure I'm on the front foot for God? I think that's what I want. When I look at the life of Jesus and I look at the life of Paul and I read someone like Paige, I think there's such a commitment. Actually, God, all I am for you. And I want to try and bring this challenge to us. I, I guess sometimes I think, golly, I think, guys, if, we, if we're married, how do we keep on the front foot? How do we ensure that actually some of these singles that say, I, I'll do whatever God says. I love that about you. I love your radical nature. It provokes me. And I think I want to take that and I want to be provoked and I want to be stirred and I want to say, oh, come on. How could I live like this? I'm aware that there's many other things I could have done, should have done. I'm aware that my time is out and the band is going to lead us as we're going to finish off in just one moment. I would love to pray. I don't want to pray in any way that I've got everything together. I want to pray, oh God, I, you know, I, I'd love to be a married man that lives radically passionate for God. I want to pray for singles. Some of you might say, actually, Pete, I, yeah, I'm not sure I believe that God has got it abundantly good for me and it's his best for me. I'd love to pray that you feel that. Because I believe that. And I know for some people that you think, God, this is the big issue. And I know that it's frustrating. And I know the church hasn't always helped. I want to pray you forgive us. And I want to pray we go forward together on that in the future. Some of you think, golly, I really, I would love to be married. I'd love to have kids. I'd love to pray for you that you will get married and have kids. I know that I could then start going down every road on all of these. I guess I just want to feel, oh God, how could you challenge us? How could we live differently? How could we get talking? I'd love us in our groups this week just to start unpacking this. I found what Sam brought last week so provocative in our group. Just, oh God, how do I live that way? Father, we do want to come and pray to you right now. Father, I pray first and foremost for everyone who's single in this church. Father, I want to thank you for them. I want to thank you for the energy and the time, the passion, the resolve that they bring. Father, again, I say I'm sorry if we have just made comments that have been unhelpful, if we've not honoured them, included them, used them as much as we could have done and should have done. God, I want to pray that we go forward as a church and it's not oh, just you, it's not an old married club. We want to see people released to their potential. God, I want to pray that as, as married couples we learn from singles. I want to pray that we're inspired by them, by their, by their passion, by their commitment, by their energy, by their resolve. God, I do want to pray as well for those that are, are struggling in their singleness. God, I pray for those that have been divorced, been hurt, felt let down. God, I pray that those that feel like they're just carrying bruises or knocks, I pray, oh God, by your spirit, you'd minister to them. God, we want to see them flourish in you.